Testing, testing, one, two, three. Is now a good time to pour the tea? Oh, yes. Excellent. This will make an excellent intro. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to this month's Building Sustainability podcast. This is episode number nine. This month, an interview with Roundwood Timber Framer and all-round wonderful human being, Adrian Lehman. I'll give you a full intro into Adrian and what to expect from the podcast after a little bit of heartwind news. But I should start by saying up front that Adrian is a very passionate speaker, and that sometimes means uh, the occasional naughty word slips out. So if you're listening with impressionable children or are in a public place uh, and the occasional F-bomb will offend, then uh, maybe now is not the time to listen to this episode. If you want to cut all this out and skip straight to the interview, then skip to around about six minutes. You might notice that Joe isn't present this month. Uh, that is because we have finished our summer build and Joe is enjoying a much uh, deserved holiday down in France, uh, taking some time away. Uh, I myself am back on my boat uh, currently floating somewhere around the Bristol region. Uh, it's nice to, to be back and to be getting some odd little jobs done and just having a bit of a rest. So we have finished our, our summer build. It took 18 weeks. Uh, we had students with us for 16 of those weeks and they built uh, the entire thing. Two straw bale studios with a whole wood store, garden store, kiln room and covered eating area uh the uh the studios were actually kind of the the minimal part of the build in terms of area in terms of effort they were obviously highly insulated uh and finished to an extraordinary detail um really couldn't be couldn't be more happy with how the students worked the attention to detail they put into flattening the walls uh yeah really really shows in the in the final finish and you can see that final finish uh if you have a look at our instagram or our facebook and we'll have some pictures on our website soon and expect to see lots more footage coming out over the winter uh we've got time lapses and various videos that we'll be uh be releasing as as and when we get time so about this podcast first of all apologies for it being late uh, we have been on site. We got back last week, this time last week, and there has been no time, no time for editing and intro making. Um, there's also been no time to record fresh interviews. We're a little bit behind on those. So this is actually an interview from April, April of 2019, earlier this year. And that means that some of the things that Adrian is going to talk about, he talks about them in the future tense. And they've already happened. Uh, so you can now skip straight to uh, seeing the results. So Adrian Lehman is a Ramwood timber framer. Not just a Ramwood timber framer. He does a lot of uh, timber frame building, uh, but predominantly Ramwood. I think I first became aware of him when he worked on Kevin McLeod's Handmade Home series. On there, he created a beautiful uh, timber frame cabin I first met Adrian when I was doing the Prince's Foundation, which is a, a thing I've talked about quite a lot on here. Part of that program, it's a an eight-month-long apprenticeship, and part of that 
is spending time with uh, practicing craftspeople. And I sought out Adrian because I wanted to learn more roundwood framing. And Adrian was very, very uh, kind and set up a bit of a project for us to work on. And my, my overriding memory of that time is that for three weeks we worked and I bombarded him with questions and he did a great job of uh, just answering and, and not going mad. So thank you, Adrian. <laughs> so in this episode, we talk about how, like many people who now work with their hands, Adrian started off his career doing something uh, computer-based. We talk about how he transitioned into making things. Uh, and we talk a little bit about how he began. So like me, he did uh, what was essentially a, a product design course um, and then somehow managed to become working at a, a computer. Uh, and then both of us had a shake up in our lives and, uh, and got back to, to building things with our hands. He talks about how he did that. He talks about one of the big projects he worked on in, during that time, which was Ben Law's uh, house. He went and, and worked on that for six months. And yeah, he talks about, talks about those, those times. We also talk a little bit about the gathering of your own raw materials, whether that's digging clay out of the ground or felling trees to use in the project. Permaculture comes up quite a lot. Adrian actually gave me some advice uh, in those weeks of me asking him questions. Uh, that was to find my local permaculture course and and do that because uh, I think I was looking to do a, a sort of intensive long course somewhere somewhere away from my home. And he advised that I do do a more local course because part of it is is finding out about them the projects and meeting the people and making connections. And he was absolutely right. I've, uh, I've just this last year, I have finally done my permaculture design uh, certificate uh, with Shift Bristol. And he couldn't have been more right. So I'll be back at the end of the chat, uh, just to tell you about some of the things that I'll link to and give you another bit of news. Uh, and just a reminder that there are bad words in this. Be prepared. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I did three-dimensional design and making at uni, and um, and that was actually. And then I specialised in furniture making, and we did do some wood, but it was very basic, obvious uh, uh, joinery in the workshop. Mm. And actually, most of the stuff that I was doing there was metal, plastic, and glass, and it was. And the design component was quite sort of semi-industrial, anyway. Mm. So, and it was. In education, anyway, a time when craft was even more was was a dirty word, really, and um, and wood was very old fashioned, and the kind of woodworking shop in that uni was on the way out, really. Right, and and I managed to get all the way through a three year degree course in design and making without having discovered anything about the origin of woodworking. I didn't know that green woodworking was a thing. Um, for example, I didn't get to know anything about rural crafts. I had no understanding or knowledge about uh, wood or different tree species or wood as a material. And and also absolutely zero mention of anything remotely sustainable. Right. So that's what the kind of... <laughs> course we're talking about so i came out of that thinking like that hey yeah great i know everything you know and then sometime later on um well basically i had to self-guide a repeat in a sense of that education in what i believe to be important and also in the things that i was passionate and loved so and that didn't come up till much later so um, so I came out of college um, and couldn't afford to have a space to make anything, really. Mm-hmm. Didn't, I was living in London, couldn't afford a workshop space or anything, and then one thing and another, and um, went back to playing in a band and then carried on touring in a band for years. Um, and then that led into film special effects and got into doing film special effects which was all digital stuff and also I had a business running uh, a little business designing making uh, artwork for record covers and uh, posters and that for a while and then went back into film post-production all computer based Mm -hmm. Uh, so then I went travelling and for a year and a half and wound up in, in Belize, in the jungles in Belize, being, um, uh, learning to be a jungle guide. And that kind of awoken, awoke my interest in, uh, in woodlands, mm. which I think was in there from a kid actually, because I played in the woods a lot as a kid. And so when I came back to the UK, uh, I was obsessed with trees and woodlands. <laughs> so then I went part time at work. So this is why you're. So this is like mid mid twenties. Okay, and you're you're working during 
So part-time as a... I'm now working part-time as a film special effects artist. Right. So very computer-based. Totally fucking computer-based. Am I allowed to swear? Yes, go wild. Uh, (laughs) And I used to spend half my time gazing out the window, Mm -hmm. thinking, get me the fuck out there. (laughs) And also, I was really passionate to get back to doing something practical with my hands, because that's where my, my skills are, really. Yeah. And... And I also wanted to be outdoors and I wanted to be contributing to something I believed in. And so I went part time and I spent five years being a course junkie. Right. And went on every natural building course I could get my hands on, volunteered with everyone who I could find who was making things. And had this really exciting period where when you're in film special effects, everything's about looking up at the stars and... Um, and uh, success and achievement and fame and fortune and all that stuff. And suddenly I was plunged into this rather murky world of wood <laughs> and, uh, and, and dirty natural materials. And, and all the people I was meeting were the kind of people who were at the other end, you know, they were more at the bottom of the stack, but didn't really give a fuck about that. And they were just like genuine, authentic people getting their hands dirty, doing real stuff. And it was amazing, you know. So basically I self, I spent five years leading a self-guided relearning process in that time, kind of learning what I should have learned at college. Mm-hmm. And, and what, so, what sort of things were you, you doing? What, what were the range of courses? you? Um, I did various natural building courses at Centre for Alternative Technology, loads of the Greenwood Centre, various, and, and sort of dug up every maverick crazy fucker who was <laughs> doing some hand spun course or event or something and and travel around the country just doing loads and loads of that helped ben law build his house for six months helped tony wrench on a few um and just went all over um and and then eventually i, I ran out of excuses still to be at work and i thought well i'm gonna <laughs> chuck it in now and what I thought I was doing then was going back to furniture making. Right. Because I'd made a lot of furniture in my degree. Uh, so I started making Greenwood chairs because I'd done quite a few of Mike Abbott's courses. And and that was sort of a comfortable terrain for me, if you like. Uh, and I did take quite a few commissions for tables and chairs. And then people started asking me to build buildings. <laughs> and I very quickly realized that it was the same as making furniture, but just bigger. Right. And the sense of satisfaction was amplified mm-hmm. and also um, kind of financially it worked out better because of that sort of Ikea effect of what people will pay for furniture unless you've got a wealthy client. It's quite difficult. Yes. Whereas if you're building, people are going to pay you for your time. So it became a lot more easy to manage. Mm. And so that's that is the way it went. And that's pretty much what I've been doing ever since. Mm. So you started building buildings and was Roundwood like the the obvious choice for that? Yeah. No. I mean, <laughs> no, of course not. It's far more difficult. And, um, you know, the more and more you get into Roundwood, the more you realise why it is that people invented saw and square, straight, predictable, nice right-angled stuff with a, yeah. with a datum point and uh, it's all generic and quantifiable and blah, 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 blah. But... For me, the why, <laughs> why I had always intended to stick with that was because I love nature's form and my 
entry point into making things was my love of woodlands. And mm. part of my love of woodlands is is all the crazy, wonderful forms that nature creates that you just can't better. And so I wanted to bring the wonder of of, of that into the built environment mm-hmm. um, because we just love building things square and straight and flat. And I wanted, I wanted the sort of the majesty and wonder of the natural world in the indoor built environment, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to partly because I love it. I love looking at those shapes, but um, I guess also because it to help remind people of where things come from. Yeah. The source of everything basically is the natural world. And it's really important. I think for people in, uh, indoors in built environments, in urban places, wherever to retain a connection to the natural world, because it's becomes much more easy to destroy it. If you're not connected to it. Yeah. You don't have a relationship with it. So for me, that was really important. It's sort of someone else's area. Yeah. Just touched on uh, working with Ben Law on his house. That's mm. probably probably one of the the more high profile, uh, yeah, roundwood framed. Yeah, ones. yeah, no, that's right. Still, um, yeah. I mean, that's that's the the grand designs that everyone mentions when I say, "Oh, I, you know, yeah, I build straw bale houses," and they that's go, right. oh, "I saw Have these you grand seen designs." Look <laughs> in the woods, you built <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so, what was that like? What was uh, it was ace actually. Um, yeah, it was ace. So there was a really, really nice, as always is with these projects, there was a, a really, really brilliant team of people working on it. Uh, it was a very maverick sort of build because none of us had really done anything like that before. And Ben had built, I think, one boathouse. Right. On a obviously much smaller scale for a rowing boat. And everyone else on it had a mixture of woodworking experience, none of whom had built anything remotely on that scale or of that sort before apart from Viv I think he had put up one other crook frame mm-hmm. so we just made it up as we went along and uh, so it's very kind of pioneering and we like fucked stuff up and tried again and made it work and <laughs> yeah it's a real real wonderful baptism by fire and at the time you know no one knew that it was going to be a big kind of tv hit or anything it was mm. just um a really delightful thing to be involved in and felt like the most natural thing in the world and and one of the reasons i ended up there the two reasons i ended up there one was that when i was in belize i ended up working with a mayan family building their house mm. and so i really got the bug for uh, building large buildings and house yeah. and house building and stuff like that, and then also, I just completed my permaculture course in London, and a guy who was teaching on the course knew Ben and had just said to me, "Oh, there's this guy, this charcoal burner in the woods down in Sussex. He's got planning. Finally, we're going to go down and help build the house. You want to come?" And I was like, "Yeah, definitely." <laughs> and uh, and so we did do that, and yeah, it was really really refreshing experience actually because it was right at the birth of roundwood timber framing uh, and there were no rules and there still aren't really that many in roundwood timber framing, but uh, there were literally none then. And we were just making it up as we went along. It was really exciting and a wonderful kind of collaborative experience that, uh, you know, was of course very, 
a very a very lovely sharing caring experience but it also mm-hmm. had this wonderful frontier sort of redneck vibe about it because <laughs> <Right. laughs> you know because it was like completely unregulated really yeah um you know when the building inspector was due to turn up on the day we sort of slung up a noose on uh on one of the beams <laughs> on the, on the house you know just as a, a joke but i mean the bloke sort of turned up i think he spent an hour there and then fucked off and it was like it was yeah so it was a very very free exploratory experience which is one of the things we lack in building particularly in the uk is it's very tightly controlled both in the design process and in mm. the execution yeah very much so. and so there's a very very limited um creative diversity within the built environment particularly on the small scale yeah compared to a lot of other places on the planet and so that was one of those moments, one of those rare, beautiful moments in the UK where there was huge creative freedom, more of the sort that you might find someone on a small scale craft project, much yeah. more than you would now find on a, a house build. Mm. So, yeah, it's wicked. Really cool. I think you touched on something that I find really interesting is that you were inventing roundwood framing. Because a lot of people say to me, oh, yeah, obviously, this is how it used to be done. So like, well, most of the timber framing was, you know, you'd axe out a square edge and you'd, you know, you'd chop in your joints. And maybe there'd be a little bit of rounded timber where, where you weren't joining, but it wasn't joining two round bits of wood together. Mm. It's interesting to hear you being feeling like the pioneers because it was, was a new thing. Well, know? it was a new thing. It was had more... It was kind of, in a sense, bringing together the worlds of modern, traditional uh, green oak timber framing and probably sort of log cabin building. Yeah, I was just going to say. So it is a completely new approach in itself that mm. didn't previously exist. Um, and it's still standing. <laughs> and it's still standing. <laughs> and yeah. is it? Do you think it's developed much more since then? Like, it's yeah, it's certainly become a lot more sophisticated. Hmm. Uh, you know, the crop frame techniques have become a lot more sophisticated. There's less sophistication in the roundhouse techniques, <laughs> and I remember. I can't remember if this was something that Tony Wrench said or something that I read that he wrote. Um, but he was talking about the different techniques and he was sort of saying, yeah, but have you seen how much gear Ben needs right. for, for his, for the, for that sort of technique? And it, it is very sophisticated in, in a lot of ways, the crop framing, roundwood timber framing. And so it depends, you know, there's a, within, within roundwood timber framing, there's something really for everyone. There's, Plenty of instances where it's still completely uh, viable to have quite a rustic, mm. fast approach. And and there's the whole gamut up to really quite refined and detailed techniques that are more commonly found within crack frame building. Um, and it's nice that there is that sort of diversity mm. within it. Just recently, I've seen a couple of roundhouses that sort of span from big screws holding it all together and, you know, being very um, quickly built um, and relying on the metalwork uh, Mm. 
and then right up to you know like wooden pegged things mm. and i'm right in thinking you know the the peg if you're using a wooden peg you can't use it as weight bearing can you it's, no no that's right so there's got to be a joint cut yeah. around that that's right um so there there is that whole mm. you sort of go as deep into it as you uh, yeah that's right and and I, I do love both sides of it i I quite love the joint geekery and all the jigs and and I my mind actually quite delights in investigating different processes for achieving different results and getting a bit nerdy and concocting some new bonkers way of doing something <laughs> and and then sometimes I like just picking up an axe and bashing the hell out of a piece of timber and making a quite a roughly hewn joint in a very rustic building so mm. it appeals to different sides of me and, and as i say everyone everything's got its place i think what's actually most important for me is 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 the accessibility of building to anyone yeah and the deprofessionalization of it and sometimes that does involve um a slightly more accessible approach and again, when I was living in Belize, I helped these, when I was helping these Mayan people build their house, you know, the whole village came out mm. to be involved. You, little kids, the whole family, the whole yeah. village, and everyone just started digging with whatever equipment they had and making the thing. And it was just part of normal everyday life that it was a, an important part of the life of the community that people had good places to live in. Mm. And, Everyone was invested in that, and it wasn't a professionalised thing. It was an everyday thing, and that had a really deep, quite profound effect on me when I came back. And so what is more important to me now is when I design something, because all my projects are educational projects, I kind of retro design them if you like mm -hmm. to make the process of the build and the techniques and the skills accessible to the sorts of people that will be involved over the time scale that's available right and so i sort of work it backwards and and that community-based side of things of giving people ownership over the the skills and the built environment and allowing people to have a stake in what happens is massively important to me. And that's way more important to me than geeking off about some particular <laughs> technique or, or particular way of doing things yeah. that's really clever for some reason, you know, that, because although I do quite like that, it does have the capacity of excluding people. Yes. It's a bit more of a, your own sort of self journey of like, I've just done this incredible scarf joint yeah, yeah. as opposed to, you know, 10 people have come and, and learnt yeah. you know, how easy it could be to yeah, yeah. to do something. So your company, Whole Woods, you've been building stuff for quite a few years now. I have. That's true. Um, what's the, you, you've mentioned sort of the education stuff. What's the, what's the focus of, do you have a, do you have a focus? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, do have a focus. I 
started off as having the focus of, yeah, this is brilliant. I'm out building stuff out of wood. Well, that initially was the focus. Yeah. Then the focus became refining those skills and becoming really good at it. Mm-hmm. Well, that was the focus then for quite a long time. Then the, and, and so then I suppose I got into a, this thing of like, why the hell am I just building beautiful stuff for people with loads, you know, for rich people, it's exclusive and doesn't actually end up serving the people that I care about and the, the people that I mix with my people, you know, they're sort of, it's become very exclusive. And so, uh, so I ended up then specializing in only working on public access buildings that were either for trusts or charities or community groups, um, schools, but basically any, and they tended to be educational type buildings or event spaces, but buildings that any normal person could enjoy as much as anyone else. Yeah. And so that became my focus. So it, it has become um, a very, you know, sort of hoisted myself by my own petard <laughs> a little bit, you know, because it's not an enormously lucrative, lucrative mm-hmm. niche that I've, inhabited but but it's uh, the thing you enjoy but it's the thing that i enjoy and believe in and it does keep me afloat and um i'm somewhat of a subsistence artist so (laughs) i managed to make it work but it does limit the amount of commissions that i can Mm. that i tend to take on but it, it does just about do it and and then all of those projects are projects that people can come and get involved in and volunteer on and learn the skills you know very much like yourself that people who are uh, time rich and cash poor can still mm. come and learn and get an experience and, uh, and and contribute to something so yeah that's that's become my focus we'll be back after a quick break hey there i'm mick from the mick and pat show that's right and i'm pat looking for a podcast that's like catching up with old friends well you're in luck We're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary, discuss culture and politics, and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews. But it's not just about us. We're a community. Our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at The Mick and Pat Show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts. It's a... It's a good one. It's very, very similar to the the heartwind. Mm, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think there's a lot of similarity, and I think also there aren't that many people consistently, professionally doing that. So there are. I mean, there's there's a goodly handful, but there's actually not that many. Mm. There's a lot of a lot of builds that you can get involved with who are that are being done by people who are building their own thing. Yeah. But there aren't so many that are doing that professionally. Because mm-hmm. obviously, as a learner, you get a better um, experience out of doing that, Look, as from, they would also from coming with with you on a project. You know, mm-hmm. there's plenty of um, courses and volunteer opportunities where you'll turn up, and the person leading it doesn't really know a lot more <laughs> than the people on the course. Yes. So um, that is one of my my pet peeves is yeah <laughs> in, in natural building there's this sort of idea that 
after one course, you can then go and teach it because natural building's easy. It's just building with nature. Yeah, that's right. And uh, and then you're just sort of people are passing on this. Like, there's no. They only know how to do one thing in one way, and then any variation from that. Yeah, no, that's right. Causes a problem, and then yeah, you know, yeah. you're not passing on. Yeah, sort of good knowledge, and then those people that <laughs> have done their one week course with someone who's done a one week course. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I've seen a lot of pretty terribly made, um, terribly detailed, I would say, um, buildings that have been made sort of because of that. Mm-hmm. And you, know, and then they start to fail, and people go, "Ah, straw bell! You can't build houses with straw bell. Mm-hmm. It does this." Yeah, and it's like, well, actually, if you, yeah, spend the time to to learn how it how you need to finish these things and detail them is yeah they work very well mm. and then teach people once you've failed loads of times and yeah absolutely. <laughs> loads That's of right. stuff That's pulled your right. hair out and lost loads of money because you've spent, <laughs> spent time <laughs> fixing things yeah absolutely uh you're you run a, a series of, of build camps is that yeah call them um how does that work what's that all about so what we what we do is we take on projects that are usually either underfunded well yes that are basically always underfunded yeah um and as i say they're for trust schools community organizations what have you and so partly the fact that the build is run as uh, a learning camp for a group of people to contribute to building means that the project gets to happen and the organisation that end up being the owners of that building uh, get their needs met that otherwise wouldn't have been met. Uh-huh. So that's really important. Obviously, it's a space for people to come to learn who are time-rich and cash-poor. Mm-hmm. And we pass on the skills, people learn on the job, um, but also what I've come to realise over the years is that people get a lot more than the skills. It's a lot, people get a lot more than what you get from a course mm. because we're all living together as a, as a little tribe for a period of time. And so we're actually also learning how to collaborate. Yeah. And um, we're also doing things in a way that's more in line with kind of open source technology in a sense. Mm -hmm. So there's very much less kind of private ownership of the skills and um, of the techniques. And so it's a very open sharing and... um, different way for a group of people to collaborate yeah. and of course then there's just the loveliness of the fact that most of these projects are happening in a beautiful place and you're hanging out in nature and mm-hmm. um and doing what human beings were designed to do which is be outdoors be in nature be in each other's company uh be eating together working together i was going to say sleeping together that's not necessarily <laughs> required <laughs> um so so a lot of actually, actually a lot of what people get from it is a deeper experience of the nature of what it is to be a human being, which is enormously nourishing mm. uh, and very much at odds with the background 
with the <laughs> thank you with the background culture which seeks to divide us and and pit us against each other and be economic units. So uh, it's a very a very and, and it's the same for me. It's a very deeply nourishing, wonderful, uh, mad experience. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me. I met a, a chap who I think his business was taking people from sort of office jobs and then taking them to, to people who are doing craft and kind of giving them a day of doing some craft. And he said that the reason he did it and enjoyed doing it was not because they got to you know, make a spoon or something was that they got to experience the other people, you know, the way that the craftsperson you know, would live and yeah, yeah, they were taking right. more from that than they were from mm. the actual skill. Yeah. It was almost sort of covert. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's right. Education of, of sort of just ways of life. Sort of a life coaching. Yes. Thing. Yeah. I can identify with that actually, because when I did my degree, of course, I learned from three teachers mm. for that whole three year period. And when I was a course junkie for a slightly longer period, I probably learned from 50, 80 different teachers. Right. And the diversity of different teaching styles and approaches to work and ways of living and stuff is, yeah, as you say, a really important part of the experience. Um, and to, and some of it is just about being around a person. Yeah. And seeing how they conduct themselves in the world can be massively <laughs> life changing it's um uh, quite a lot of pressure on you to be your best self then <laughs> yeah it is it's a good challenge to exactly to do that and and of course we all spectacularly fail at, at doing that yeah much of the time and but that's one of the things that one of the sort of sayings of tribal people that it's the responsibility of everyone in the tribe to be the best that they can be for the good of the tribe right. as much as for themselves and so when you're working in groups like that it does bring the best out of you and sometimes that can be quite challenging as well. mm. uh, and you're sort of well you know what it's like because it's the same for you you know you're mm. sort of both host uh foreman uh, designer builder you know you're kind of everything's on it so mm -hmm. it's it's quite uh mentally hectic it is you're thing. spinning a lot of plates yeah uh, how, how do you find you cope with it <laughs> <laughs> sometimes i cope with it um so tell me about this build you've coming up got coming up this year in uh in london yep so that uh what do i want to tell you about that um it's going to be um, a little bit of a challenge, which is always a good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, part mainly because of um, the limited, well, a combination of things, I suppose. Limited budget, as always. Mm -hmm. uh, a little bit further away from home than we're used to, um, but really amazing project to support. We're building a an insulated roundhouse with an extension on it, which is pretty much all going to be built from timber. And but the the, the organisation are old friends of ours, and it's a really 
amazing, amazing project that mm. I was going to say, that's a, that's a sort of, I was going to say that grew organically, which is kind of weird because that's actually their name, isn't it? Organically. <laughs> uh, but it's a food growing, a community food growing cooperative. Um, and they, their outreach projects are just off the scale. It's really amazing what they're, nice. uh, what they're doing. So it's a really lovely thing to go and support them and, and to help their project. And although it is kind of a little bit further, more, more, a bigger project and further field than, than I would like really. Yeah. <clears throat> it's really amazing to support them and be part of what they're doing. And, and there a lot of them are old friends anyway. So that's really nice. wonderful. Nice to go sort of full yeah. circle and reconnect. Yeah, that's right. That's kind of my old family from when I was in London. So when I, I did my permaculture course in 2000 with what was then nature wise which is now sort of more based in wales right. Some guy set it up in london to move to wales and so I, some of these guys i met on my permaculture course and then some of them a group of us went and did our diplomas together mm-hmm who are from organically and so they became really good mates and we've run many projects over the years and then at one so then at one point permaculture courses in london were sort of taken over by this group right. and at that venue and so it's like a very really really interesting place because they the permaculture principles are very much adopted by the people there and the, and the site and their methodology mm. but it's very interesting to like over the years, uh, the ways in which they found some of those principles are useful and some actually aren't. Right. Through kind of like real kind of coal face exploration of yeah. how these things are going to work and not necessarily from the point of view of um, just the technicalities of how one engages with nature and plants and so on, but from the point of view of within the context of a, what is essentially a fairly urban food growing mm. project that uh, is very community inclusive. Uh, how viable is it, for example, to have complex no dig growing beds yeah. when you've got a stream of volunteers coming through who don't know what they're doing? And actually they found that uh, in a lot of cases, less diverse and complicated complex systems that are, have in some ways more in line with conventional growing work better yeah in in that and so there's lots of little things like that so it's really interesting sort of test bed place for all of those sorts of things really fascinating Hmm. and of course the their approach to buildings and comes into that as well you know they really they inherited what was a um an old council plant nursery and you know the place is sort of all the buildings are full of the most appalling, you know, materials. Right. Uh, Asbestos. Bad, and... You know, just everything. Yeah. Everything bad <laughs> basically is there. So it's a, it was a very interesting kind of reality check of the ideals of permaculture, but put into a really gritty situation. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's really a really good project to be involved with. I'm really glad about that. Hmm. What's the, the purpose of the building? So the building will be outdoor classroom. As I say, they've got a wicked outreach 
so you know so diverse so multicultural just because it's you know it's in the belly of the beast or well, it's on the outskirts of london <laughs> but it's like it's right there you know so uh a classroom where they'll be extending their capacity they've got an indoor classroom in the main building already but it's uh-huh. like maxed out a yeah. lot so so it'll be a massive uh, boost for them to have a bigger additional classroom again but also further away so they do a lot of work with either at-risk groups or offenders and stuff and so it's useful be useful to them to have a a, a teaching space that's uh separate from some of their other um, yeah. at-risk or vulnerable groups so it's that's the kind of the vibe nice that sounds like a an exceptionally worthy project yeah yeah for sure yeah um, um yeah it's a really good, really good challenge, and and a new group of people, which will also be a really good challenge because we've had quite sort of consistent core group of Bill Camp mm. participants over the years, and so most of the people on this one are new. So quite looking forward to meeting a new bunch of crazy, <laughs> eager builders. Yes. So it's uh, how long to build? Builds kind of three months. Depending on how things go, it's very difficult to predict it these is, things, yeah. as you know. Especially, yeah, building with you, you're taking on people for shorter amounts of time, which yes. uh, adds mm. in a whole level of unknown. Yes, I'll let you know about that. <laughs> we've done it. My sense is that, well, it's already added complexity, but it will add a lot more. Yeah. I don't. Time. My assumption is it's not it's it's not really a enormously viable way to do it. Right. Yeah. That's 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 my opinion, listeners. <laughs> Don't do it. It's probably Don't, wrong. <laughs> Don't do it. Especially <laughs> especially not if you ever want to make any money. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um so you touched there a little bit on permaculture and mm. kind of your your uh, run-ins with permaculture. Uh, how how's that kind of affected your your life, your business? Your well, it affected my life initially a lot because I made a lot of mates uh, through getting involved with that. So that has been amazing, mm-hmm. and affected my outlook on life and the world and how things could or should be done. And was another avenue of teaching for me. So I started teaching on permaculture courses mm-hmm. after I did my diploma. And so I, I've generally taught the, as you might imagine, I've <laughs> generally taught the sustainable buildings section and the woodland based section. Mm-hmm. And what I have found over the years, though, is I started to get a bit kind of disgruntled. Is that the right word? I don't know. Kind of. Because in, in what we ended up doing a lot in the early days in the curriculum was focusing in the um, in the building section about how to build your own house, mm. and and it did occur to me fairly early on that well, okay, so we've got a room full of twenty people here, and we're holding these courses a couple of times here. How many of these people are actually ever going to get to build their own house? You know, how yes. relevant is it? Mm. I spend all this time telling these people how to lower their footprint and such and such by building their own house. So, so eventually, I ended up turning it to a look at how to use materials 
sustainably in whatever building project you've got, nice. which could be putting up a shelf. It yeah. could be rebuilding a garage. It might be uh, a refurb or it could equally be scaled up to, you know, apply to building your own house. But to try and get away from that focus of like, we're all going to live in a Hobbit house because that's not a viable vision for no how the UK is going to be because we've got a huge amount of houses already. Yes. And people are urbanised in the main and so on, so on. So, yeah, so we started looking more at uh, material use and getting people to understand the uh, embodied energy implications of the uh, harvesting, transportation, processing and use of different materials and to think about materials in the context of material environments. So it's not just that you've got a, a piece of stuff you know, that piece of stuff has come from a part of the world mm-hmm. that's probably been blasted to shit to produce this piece of stuff. And that has an impact. And to so think about that. And there's no way to be like environmentally squeaky clean. But if you're asking those questions uh, and making informed choices based on a, a balance of good and mm. then that's a pretty fucking good place to be. So that's what we ended up focusing on. Nice. That's a discussion I've had uh, quite a lot is that we've got so many houses that are really badly performing. Actually, wouldn't it be more beneficial to focus on how we can make those more insulated, more uh, moisture permeable, uh, better living conditions from what we've already got than to Mm. be focusing on new builds and... Mm. Um, and generally, new builds for you know, reasonably wealthy people because natural materials are well because the labour the labour cost is yeah. is higher. They are generally yeah. you know a bit more expensive. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, in terms of people's lives, you know, like a lot of people, it's the same with you. I'm sure a lot of people will come on the courses or the uh, building events because they want to build their own house. And very few people in the UK will actually ever get to do that. Mm. It's quite exclusive, but it's part of the human blueprint to have an instinct to do that. Yeah. And it's a very uh, deep instinct that is, you know, it's like a very deep itch that needs to be scratched, basically. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's really important, lovely uh, wholesome experience, exciting, you know, experience for people to have. And if they can't build their own place, you know, to go and be able to be involved in building a thing with a group of people. Sometimes there's like scratches are quite a substantial part of that. It. <laughs> and that's a, that's a really good thing. Really good thing. And so we've always had practical components on the permaculture courses to give people a little flavour of that. Mm-hmm. And same with the woodland work, you know, we've gone and felled some trees and helped people get a, a sense of that full process of what does it really mean to take a material from the natural environment? Mm. You know, like building something with natural materials is a is a very profoundly satisfying thing to do. Um, and it's hugely deepened if you also go and harvest some materials yes. and build them into something so whenever is possible we'll go and sort of ceremonially 
fell some trees with some axes and long saws and mm-hmm. they'll go in the building, you know, because it's... And, and we can't always do that, but on the times we get to do that, it's, it's <laughs> brilliant. Uh, so I did some work with you uh, way back, maybe four years ago, um, and we made a roundhouse and we mucked up one of the the joints uh, and had to get another tree. And it cost 15 quid, I think. Yeah. And I remember being utterly shocked and slightly disgraced <laughs> that, that, you know, this tree that, you know, probably 30 years old and, you know, that was its value, mm. 15 quid. You know, it's all the, the processing and the, the drying and the planing and the, but we'll turn that 15 quid tree into mm. however much you'd spend on the same amount of four by two. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's sort of shocking, isn't it? The devaluation of natural materials in the mechanical age. Mm. Yeah, it's completely out of whack, isn't it? Gives people a deflated sense of the real meaning and value of parts of the natural world that become very cheaply available, mass available products. Yeah. Um, But, you know, the interesting thing is when you actually have to go and harvest some of that stuff by hand yourself then you're suddenly aware of a whole different way of valuing what that thing is because it's a huge amount of effort usually. Mm. Yes. And requiring often a lot of people. And, you know, certainly if you try and harvest a relatively modest amount of natural material by hand with a group as it would have been done not so long ago before we were burning fossil fuels, mm. it's a massive learning experience of like, oh, fuck, actually, that's really heavy, isn't it? And it takes yeah. a long time and I'm sweating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a really valuable reappreciation of the true uh, cost of things. Yeah. On our last build, we we were lucky in that the, the foundations were dug and we had really good clay. So we, were, right. we had a big pile of clay, but that needed to be dug out of the big pile, put into baths, wet down and you know, turned yeah. into a, a material we could use in the building. Yeah. And it was a full time, you know, we were just rotating people through that job because it was, you know, all day, every day, someone had to be yeah. on that to keep up. And it's a lot of yeah. effort and it's a lot of, you know, throwing shovels around and, yeah, right. you know, it's hard, hard graft mm. to get free material. Yes. <laughs> you, you earn it basically, don't yes, you? Yes, exactly. Is what we're saying. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah you totally earn it yeah you got all the blisters to prove it yeah that's right <laughs> I want one of the one of the joys of I suppose it takes me back to the, my the origins of my interest in this from when I was in Belize but one of the joys of a building with a group for me anyway is that I don't use a group to achieve the same result faster because there's more people. What it gives me an opportunity to do is lower the reliance on mechanised mm. approaches. So, and that means that everyone's working in a far more natural and conducive collaborative way where you can actually, for example, talk to each other because it's mm. not kind of a, yeah. a huge amount of mechanical fossil fuel based noise going on, even if it's, battery powered you know it's still uh, a mechanistic approach and so we it gives us a chance to lower that 
So we don't really necessarily get things done more quickly just because there's more of us. In some instances, some things happen at the same speed. Yeah. It's just that we all get to enjoy each other's company in a, a more relaxed, more enjoyable working environment. And it gives us a chance to use more hand tools than would normally be anything other than laughed at on a conventional building site. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's a really wonderful, wonderful thing. And, and 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 that's the nature of of collaboration, I suppose, is that it does give you the opportunity to think in a more in a, at a more human scale. Yes, I think because it's not just the goal. You know, we haven't just got to make this fucking thing as quickly as possible and cut as many corners as possible to get out of there as fast as possible to make the profit. And you know, yeah, it, there's a there's a greater value at, at stake as well. So it's uh, it's a real gift, actually. You know, in a, in the age we're in mm. to, and, and, and the same with you, you know, there's not that many people like you and I that are carving out niches in the modern world where people can experience something on a deeper level. Yes. Um, there aren't enough of those kind of little chinks in the fabric of the modern world that people can exist in this little oasis of time that, that you create when you put a project on, you know, where they can, not be at the mercy of the economic machine. Yeah. It's really important. It is. And that, I mean, I think mental health as well. Of, yeah, for sure. You know, people coming together and being in this little oasis where they're, yeah. you know, working at a slower pace, working out, you know, still working hard, but. Yeah, for sure. I, well done us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Aren't we great? <clears throat> yeah. So have you got any, I'm asking this like a question, like I, we haven't already spoken about it. Uh, oh, what, what <laughs> is that? Have you got any sort of gripes with oh, yeah. the, uh, the natural that building question. world? Uh, well, one, one actually is one that I'd forgotten about, which we've kind of already covered, but I'm going to use this opportunity to uh, get it out again, which is the lack of creativity mm. in building. Yeah on account of it being so tightly controlled. And so, for example, in terms of the built environment, I prefer being on an allotment yeah, than on a street. Mm-hmm. Um, because on allotment, you've got all funky shit being built everywhere by people with all sorts of abilities, just making stuff work out of what they've got with pretty much free, well, not, not on all allotments, but on a lot of allotments, pretty much free creative reign. And yeah, that's a really beautiful thing. Uh, to enjoy as a spectator and a, as a person to do. And then like, you know, in the normal built, commercially built environment, that absolutely doesn't exist. It's really odd. Yeah. And there's so many countries on, on the planet where that, um, is not the case. And, and so it's not like we've got a, a lack of creative juice in the UK, you know, and in most other forms of arts and, and creativity. Uh, the UK's got loads to offer, mm. but because we control uh, buildings so tightly, it just isn't allowed to shine in 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 that sector, for whatever for a better word. And that's a real loss. I mean, I guess the the argument would be that the the control is for safety, and if I'm understanding what you're you're sort of what you're saying correctly. So that yeah, there's lots of things put into place mm. 
Or is it safety or, or do you mean more that the people are just building as quick as they can for money? I think it's a, yes, a whole range of reasons. The ones you've mentioned included and, but also the fact that the process in putting together a building of a normal conventional sense uh, dictates that you cannot work as any other craftsperson or artist would, mm. which would be that you have the flexibility and freedom to be informed by the materials or some random event or your mood that day um, and change the design, adapt, uh, go off at a tangent, explore. Uh, I mean, that's where, that's where the real juice of creativity comes. It comes... Uh, when you might least expect it, for example. Yes. It doesn't necessarily all come out when you're in the planning stage. Mm. And I certainly know with the sorts of buildings we do that aren't usually normal street-based houses, that those amazing, often those amazing moments of creativity come out of the old fuck moment where yes. something happened and you weren't anticipating it. Or some random person you discover that actually who's on the project, you know, and they've got a passion for carving. And they're like, right, okay, great, let's carve some funky shit and put that in the building. Or let's, yeah. we've, such and so-and-so drove in that day and found these really amazing uh, windows in a skip. They're not mm. the same size as the windows on the plan. You know, you don't, uh, so you, you can just improvise and make do. And certainly, you know, and, and again, certainly within the permacultural approach, approach to things where you want to be reusing at source uh locally discarded unwanted things that's very difficult in a in a house very conventional so. house build and very it's, difficult it's a thing that uh, if you strive to do it it well it often ends up being more expensive to yeah. use reclaimed stuff yeah um a case of that in the last build we did up in Scotland there was these lovely little uh wall lights with a little pull switch on off you know reclaimed from from somewhere like a car boot sale or something and the electrician must have spent like three days trying to get them to work and oh, wow. yeah. and you know finally gave up and then they bought some new ones and so uh you know it cost cost a huge amount of money in uh, in the electrician's time and then yeah and then didn't even get used <laughs> it's yeah uh, yeah, yes, yeah, shame. I, I mean, I've no idea how that situation might uh, change. Actually, uh, I think we kind of are where we're at. Um, Certainly, when people are being paid to to build, yeah, it sort of puts that limitation on it. So yeah, I think absolutely. If you're, if you're doing it for free, then uh, yeah, you've the time is not an issue yeah um yeah so that's that's bugbear number one <clears throat> and bugbear number two is simply that folk in the uk will struggle to you know in the, in the main struggle to be able to build their own house and um that's very sad it's a great shame that that's the case mm. Um, it's kind of partly an economic trap problem and partly a sort of scale uh, 
and you know time scale and size scale problem but but mainly an economic problem and uh also wrapped up in the same fact that earlier if we said that we already have a lot of houses we mm. don't need everyone on in the uk to be able to build their own house because we've already got a lot of houses <laughs> yeah so it's partly that as well um so and you know everyone carries that dream that's kind of going taking us way back to why that grand designs program with ben Lewis really touched the nation so deeply is because it went to that really uh primal kind of urge that people have to create a nest mm. and that uh is a really deep part of us and so and we can't we can't all do that um now uh if we can find new creative ways to scratch that itch great i think that's you know that that is as good as it as it gets actually for mm-hmm. where we are currently at um or to build something i mean when i when i grew up i built a tree house and a, uh, i would imagine a lot of urban kids now don't even get to build a tree house no um and uh, so it's just that thing of being able to to build a something a you know, a den, a tree house, uh, a summer house in the back garden, any kind of like largish habitable sort of space is like a really primal yeah. thing. And uh, so to have outlets for people to be able to do that, I think is, you know, like you were saying, a really valuable contribution to people's mental health. And although a lot of people carry the dream of building their own place one day and escaping the machine and living off grid and, this, that, and the other, um, most people won't achieve that. And it's not desirable that everyone would achieve that because mm. it's not appropriate to our country. Um, and actually not a particularly easy life route anyway, you know, for people who uh, buy a bit of land in some remote place and start from scratch and build a place and uh, and lead what might be sort of envisaged as the dream life, you know, it's also a pretty fucking hard life can be quite an isolating life, quite remote, quite intense. I wonder uh, what stressful. I wonder what proportion of those people that do leave, you know, sort of leave a city or a town and go into their little isolated dream scenario. I wonder what percentage then return. Yeah. Some years later going, Oh, that was horrible. Yeah. Well, I think um, there's somehow the, the vision of that is kind of hardwired into uh, the dreams of people, uh, it, you know, certainly in the UK at the current time. Mm. But I think the uh, it, it's a little bit misplaced because it's although the urge to build and to nest is there and completely lovely, genuine, wonderful, exciting thing to do. Uh, there was never really a time when the, the way to express that was to go off on your own yeah. and individually do that. Yeah. Uh, it's always been since the year dot that, uh, that humans being a social animal lived collaboratively in extended family groups or in tribes. And then later on in villages and so on and so on. And, and it, and if kind of harking back to an older time is what that vision is part of, it should also be 
embracing the togetherness, yeah. the, the, the shared journey and the creating of something that's of shared benefit. It shouldn't actually be the grueling task of going off into the countryside on your own piece of land, thank you very much, and building this amazing dream pad. Yeah. And then being completely fucking isolated in paradise. That's not what the vision should be. No. Uh, I think that's an important. Do you think then that's a, a sort of, um, uh, struggling for the right word, like a rebellion against kind of the, the more sort of urban norm? Mm. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. And I think also uh, society as it is has made it very easy for people to forget that the natural state for us to be in is in extended family groups or mm. tribes or social what have you. animals. Yeah, you know, because although we we know we're social animals, I think the modern consumer world has created this way for us to very easily be in a competitive mode. Yeah. Which makes it very desirable for people to think that the only way they can escape the madness of the modern world is to go and be on a, alone on a piece of land and build their own place. Yeah. And uh, I don't think that's an easy answer. I don't really think that is an escape. Mm. You're sort of, yeah, imprisoning yourself in a different, yeah. different way, aren't you? Yeah. Mm. So there you are. There's two of my bugbears. So should we end on a happy note? Yes. <laughs> uh, good call. What? Uh, oh, that's a good question to end on a happy note. Is there something happy you want to say? Oh, um, <laughs> throw it on to you to come up with something. Uh, well, yes, actually. Uh, I mean, the, the, I've, I've, I have, I have got one. There's, there's quite a few, but I've got a, a goodie, um, which, <laughs> which is about collaboration. So, um, yeah, it's the positive side of the negative argument that we just discussed. Yeah. So it's the fact that after having done this sort of work with groups for now uh, about 19 years, fucking mm-hmm. hell, <laughs> it still never ceases to amaze me the awesome power of collaborative human effort and the incredible things that can be achieved and the real joy that comes out of it and the absolute kind of bursting creativity that comes out of those times. Yeah. And uh and 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 also how people blossom when you give them the opportunity to be that way you know it's that thing of uh, uh left to their own devices um in a in a collaborative group situation people will be amazing yeah absolutely fucking amazing and and it and it and it draws out the best in people so one really only has to create good situations in order to see the better side of people. Um, And as I say, I think that will carry on being a joy for me until the day I drop dead with a hammer in my hand and ladder (laughs) on a roof somewhere. (laughs) It's a messy end. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Adrian, thank you so much um, for taking the time. And yeah, it's been really insightful and wonderful. It's been a huge pleasure for me. Thank you so much. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So I hope you all enjoyed that. Thanks again to Adrian Lehman. Um, you can check out his website at uh, wholewoods.co.uk. That's whole, W-H-O-L-E, woods. Uh, and he's got pictures of that project he was talking about and of his many other beautiful projects. Uh, I'll also stick some links up to uh, the Centre for Alternative Technology where uh, Adrian did some of his his initial training, uh, the Greenwood Center, uh, Ben Law. If I can find a, a link to Ben Law's episode on Grand Designs, it's definitely worth a watch. It was one of the the main uh, influences in my changing my life was was seeing that episode. So it's it's a very important thing, and great that Adrian was involved in it. I'll also put a link to Tony Wrench's website. He creates beautiful roundwood uh, round houses. Um, I actually, just after this interview, got to meet Tony Wrench uh, and spend some time in one of his round houses. He's a very nice chap, and I hope to get him on one of the podcasts one of these days. We'll also pop a link into Mike Abbott. Uh, he is a fantastic chair maker. You can go and do a, a course with him and make a chair. Uh, and also Organic Lee, which is the uh, project that Adrian is uh, building for. Uh, a really great uh, organisation there. And I used to moor up around their, their neck of the woods uh, when I was uh, floating around London. Um, such a a worthy um, and excellent cause to be building for. OK, that's all of my nonsense today. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, if you have enjoyed this, do subscribe and check out the other interviews. Otherwise, until next time, see you soon.